0: This is All The Cool Parts number 29 for Thursday, November 3rd, 2011. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to All The Cool Parts podcast number 29. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and this time on All The Cool Parts, we have an interview with composer and guitarist Scott Johnson. just recently released a CD called Americans featuring his own music. And uh, this CD, uh, I think even a month ago, um, I had not heard Scott Johnson's music before. And one of our listeners, uh, I'm gonna give him props. One of our listeners, Chris Ruth, sent me a couple tracks from this album just and he just basically said, I'm sending you these tracks because I think you might like him and he was right. I really liked him a lot. And I went to, uh, Scott's website and, uh, got the CD and listened to the whole thing. And then subsequently emailed him and asked him if he wanted to come on the show to do an interview. And he was gracious enough to agree to do that interview. Um, and, uh, we're going to, you know, discuss a lot of things, um, in addition to his music and musical philosophy and, uh, uptown versus downtown in New York City and pop versus classical and all kinds of interesting stuff. So I'm just going to get right on to the interview, um, which, you know, usually when I do these interviews, uh, the guests will come on and we'll do a little sort of pre-interview chatting. And then I'll sort of, you know, officially start the interview. When Scott came on, we just sort of started talking like right from the beginning. And I just started recording. And uh, yeah, that's how the interview starts. So there's really no uh, official introduction. You know, we just kind of get into it right away. Um, so without further ado, here is my interview with composer scott johnson i'm really having
1: i'm really you know i've spent most of my life doing chamber sized things most uh, more often electric ensembles than not so this is it's really fun to have all those lines on the paper or on the computer <laughs> and all those noises available and it's it's
0: yeah it's a little uh, toy chest yeah definitely i mean is there so there's no guitar in this piece
1: there will be actually they're, they're um uh viol- one of their violinists uh uh Caleb Burns you may you may know him he's
0: uh, i know his name i don't know him but. yeah
1: he's in this so, these guys there's this whole scene of guys um sort of 30ish guys who are playing in gazillions of ensembles that right. uh, <laughs> Caleb plays in he plays with... Well, you know in, in a way this is a thing that happens with every generation i think they they young players hit uh uh New York and I'm sure the same thing happens everywhere else. I mean, I moved here when I was that age. And basically, there's a, a period where, where everybody just all that enthusiasm and, and let's put on a show urge causes people to just sort of generate ensembles like, you know, uh, uh, you know reproducing tadpoles or something. They just <laughs> swarm. And what's really great about this bunch is that there's just the finest level of musicianship among a lot of these people.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had several of these people who were involved in the scene on this show, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's they're yeah. all great musicians and cool people, and so yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun. I always tell these guys, and
1: and a lot of them, they do what I was very uh, much a fight for me when I started out was uh, incorporating elements from American popular music and from rock and and so forth, which was a as I said, it was a big a big battle it was not respectable when I started out and for these guys it's if sure it's just another source material which is that it you know you you can be inspired by this that or the other thing and there's a there's less worry than when I was a kid about you know is this pedigreed uh, I, I, I came up at the really the high watermark of high modernism and uh, it was very, very prejudicial towards sort of borrowings from the vernacular that, that really characterized the whole history of Western music up until the uh, mid-20th century. Yeah. And so I'm mean, always telling these guys, you know, I'm very jealous <laughs> they're getting to live in what I wanted to live in.
0: <laughs> well, you know, and you know, okay, you know what, I'm just going to, um, you know, I was going to just, you know, talk to you a bit and then do like an official um, introduction to start the interview but really the interview's kind of started i mean yeah. i really want <laughs> i really want oh, to hit, hit cut yeah yeah no no it's been re- i've been recording oh, so uh, yeah, i'm just yeah, gonna sure. leave this and, yeah sure and uh everybody out there this is scott johnson <laughs> so Hello. um uh yeah so i mean what you've said so far is uh definitely territory that i've wanted to discuss with you because Looking at your website, reading your bio and reading some of your, um, you know, essays that you've written, like your statement from 1985 and your essay, Hybrids, Thoroughbreds and Survival. um, These kind of things really get into and talk about this kind of stuff that you just started hinting at. You know, when you first started out uh, in the early 70s in New York, there was this real... Late '70s, sorry.
1: Yeah, '75. I moved
0: here. In, in New York. Yeah, I moved to
1: New York. Yeah, I was in college in the early '70s.
0: Yeah, and and there was this real divide, right, between what, oh, it the, what was referred to as downtown and uptown, and
1: absolutely. I actually moved to New York. I was I determined to quit music. I studied visual arts also, and and I, as a you know a student, I would study uh music theory in the week and playing a blues bar in the weekend you know uh and it playing electric guitar and there just seemed no i i could not for the life of me figure out how i could make those things work yeah. there was no existing cultural uh pathway for me to go down and so i moved to new york got involved in the the art world and at that time, dance, music, everybody lived in the same neighborhood, and I realized very quickly, yeah, there was a path, if I, and I had a way to make it. Um, and what's more, there are other people also interested in that, in importing from the vernacular and in using rock as a source material. And uh turns out it was quite doable, and now it's, I think, for young, uh, young composers, uh, it's it's sort of taken for granted. Of course you can do that, they right. think. Right. And I think they're right. Yeah, the, so for some of those essays, and, and I mean, there's, there's actually a sort of a fun one, the snarkiest one. What is the name of that? Um, the Arbiters of Doom.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's kind of my favorite. It's, it, it's a little more entertaining because <laughs> um, it's an argument. People get, uh, when they're in the midst of an argument, they get um, uh, a little more colorful sometimes so that that that's a fun one to read if people want to check that out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would oh. definitely um uh you know, encourage readers and listeners to to go to Scott's website and read these things, you know, because you know, they're interesting to read, but they're also uh an incredibly interesting insight into a phenomenon that was going on in classical music that was, I think it was important um and that is Kind of over, you know, but people kind of still remember. Uh,
1: what downtown downtown battle you mean? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was um,
1: it was really <laughs> um, serious. It was uh, it was but, a lot of bad feelings. Yeah,
0: but but like you said, now it's kind of like everyone's made up and and everyone's everyone is friends, sort of, kind of. Not, um,
1: not completely. I think that what's happened is that the battle with my generation. I, I've gotten over it. I think a lot of people have gotten over it. Uh, we still have our, our, our points of view. What's in the interesting thing is the younger people who did not experience this as a sort of passionate uh, disagreement between, you know, high, what I call high modernism, which is essentially the, the serialism and its offshoots, um, uh, uh, very highly structured approaches to composition. Uh, and the downtown, which I mean, I always describe the downtown attitude as the coalition of the miscellaneous. Uh, basically, everybody down there was the, in the same bag because we weren't high modernists, and this includes you know a vernacular sort of person like vernacular oriented uh, 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 person like myself or improvisers like Zorn, um, uh... the big noise guys like Glenn bronca um. Cajuns also who weren't accepted mm-hmm. uptown.
0: Maybe like uh, Nick D- Nick Dikovsky, people like that.
1: Oh well, Nick. Yeah, Nick has this kind of combination of 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 um, free improvisation and metal guitar, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, essentially every everybody that had an unlikely hybrid or a uh, a, a style that was not coming out of the. Um, uh, Uh, The sort of European-oriented high modernism. Basically, everybody was thrown together, and it made a mix. But what's interesting is that that mix, um, for younger composers and young musicians now, they don't make. They don't feel they have to make a choice. And I think that that is historically the way that Western music evolved. I mean, my my favorite example is is look at a a a Bach suite. Uh, what is it? It's you know, jigs and sarabands and courants, and what are those things? Those are the things that drunk people did on Saturday night. But those are dance movements, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and but they provided enough material for the finest mind in European music at the time to keep himself busy. Uh, so the the lesson of this is that is that the outcome, and this is where you get into Darwinian territory, something I've written about a little bit the outcome of an innovation or a mutation uh, uh, is not written into its beginnings anything can begin anywhere and turn into something else uh, and be used for a different purpose uh, another perfect example is is the fad in Vienna for for um, Turkish percussion when they were busy having wars with the Ottoman Empire well it shows up in Beethoven 9 well this but uh, most most notably, but it showed up in a lot of lesser work as well. This fad made Edgar Varez possible in 20th century percussion music. There's nothing in Turkish military marching music that leads you necessarily to academic, you know, percussion ensemble <laughs> right. pieces. But that's where it went. Uh, so you know, my goal and my point in all this is just throw the doors open, use the materials that excite you. And humans being human beings being what they are, uh, they'll come up with something,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, one thing that, uh, or one reason that I, I don't know, kind of identified with you and your music so much uh, was because uh, we seem to have a really similar background, although, you know, you were wrestling with these issues of um hybrid as you call it you know um you know taking uh, the music you grew up with the music um that's around us in our current society and and sort of mixing that with a classical and whatever and um, transforming it is
1: the key word. yeah yeah transformation
0: yeah yeah um and i'd never really come across somebody who uh, you know other than these these uh People we were talking about earlier, these thirty-somethings um, in New York that are running around playing in all these ensembles, um, and uh, you know, I I had the same kind of feeling, you know, when I was coming up that that everything was possible, um, that there there was no, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. Um, but what I actually ran against that um, when I first went to school in 1996. I was far from New York. I was in Texas, but. Um, we had a guest composer come that first year that I was there. I'm not going to say who it was, but it was a a very established, what I would say, uptown composer uh, mm-hmm. from New York City. And uh, I remember during his lectures, he really spent a lot of time uh, sort of really talking down about um, what was going on in New York in the downtown scene. You know, he would... Refer, yeah. refer to bang on a can as bang on the can and um in a sort of really derisive way and and then uh in our in a master class with him i had written a piece kind of similar to what we're going to hear today that you know mixes rock and all that stuff and i mean he just up the wall hated it and just told me yeah. I, sh- I should never listen to rock music again um, and I, you know on and on and that was really my yeah. first uh my, my first experience with you can't do that you know
1: well, this is, uh, um, some of the hardcore people in this have adopted a very defensive posture, and they've done it for the best of Darwinian reasons. Uh, they're uh, making a living depends upon it. Um, it, it. And their status, I mean, we're human beings. Our status within our subculture, within our immediate surroundings, is really important to us primates. And the the for all of the 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 sort of marvelous inventions of high modernism or, or modernism in the 20th century um which began i think with a sort of a very rebellious uh uh impulse and a uh you know out of uh, admirable motives and exploratory nature and all of this sort of thing it wound up essentially playing uh, defense uh uh because it mutated into a a, a critter <laughs> Which was not an exploratory critter. It was a critter that, that that essentially defended its nest. It found a home in the university. It lost. It actually retreated uh, uh, in the po- in the wider culture, um, and it kept telling itself the "Rite of Spring" story. The uh, uh, we're going to we're going to do this thing. They're going to hate it. They're going to boo us off stage. And next year we are going to be the toast of Paris. Well, they never got to be the toast of Paris, and. Um, uh, the 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 outcome was a sort of a retreat from the popular culture and a denigration of that popular culture. And there's obviously there's no end of stupid stuff out there. <laughs> However, that doesn't mean everything out there is stupid. I mean, it's a logical error to, uh-huh. to take this position that that listening to to dumb music is not going to occasionally, well, it's not even dumb, you know what it is, it's, music has different purposes. I I always I define this as the get up and dance music and sit down and shut up music. And I, <laughs> in the shorthand of what I do is I try to write sit down and shut up music out of the materials of get up and dance music. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah, music,
1: right on. A lot of dumb music has a purpose. It's mating, basically, let's face it. You know, you're 16 years old and um, you know, you have certain things in mind, and certain musics you associate with it, and those musics stick with you your whole life. Is the sexiest stuff around? Yeah, sure. Um, well, and it can. So, you know, it, it, it the specialization of this academic attitude it denies the many functions that that music serves within a culture, and the fact that 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 because of uh, a certain music is not serving the function that you are doing with your music that that other music is somehow illegitimate. Now, it might not be as complex and it might not be good for sitting down and listening to for you know, 30 seconds without a distraction. That doesn't mean that there isn't that something in there that can be transformed into something that you want um, for your work. So anyhow, yeah, that so your experience at this school was really the other side. I'm on the other side of that battle the nice thing is is that that battle doesn't really matter that much I think for a growing portion of of, of you know the young composers go yes. coming up yes I and agree in in doing that or in it in reaching that point they have essentially um reestablish it is a reestablishment of you know and then back to me this is what this has been you know over and above my this has been my goal, over and above my goal of this piece and that piece, and I want them to work on their own, uh, on their own, uh, each on its own uh, little wobbly legs. But the overall goal has been to make it possible for a person in our culture to essentially behave like uh, composers in in all the preceding cultures were able to behave, which is to say they're able to take the things that that move them or the things that they like or maybe the things they hate or whatever, able to make references to their surrounding world and make and transform that into a personal expression of their their reality, of their musical reality. You know, uh, uh, each of us essentially... I don't know if you ever pay attention to Richard Dawkins and the idea of memes and so forth, but essentially most of us, most of our ideas are inherited. Uh, they're 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 like viruses. They we have infected brains, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, as Daniel Dennett, the philosopher I'm working with, uh, uh, often says. And but each of us has a particular copy of that culture of that virus. It's not like a, it's not like a physical virus. I have a different copy of. Schubert than you do. Now, our copies of Schubert are, you know, they, they're still Schubert, and you uh, but my idea of it is a little mutated from your idea, and so is everybody else's. Hmm. And these ideas of what, or, or an idea of what, you know, the Rite of Spring means to me, means to you, means to someone, what um, uh, the bang in a can thing means to this academic composer versus what it means to I don't know, I gave a talk at, a lot of these young composers here are people I met when I gave a talk at Yale about 10 years ago, and they were all students. And they all paid a lot of attention to Bang in a Can, and here they are making music that reflects that. Not exactly, but they each have a copy of it. And this is how culture works. Um, and in making your copy of your picture of the world, uh, my idea was always that you should be able to take whatever you want out of that world. Yeah. Um, Pedigreed or not, the only the only um, thing that's incumbent on you is what's incumbent on anybody. When you start talking, you got to keep people interested. When you put on a show, uh, you you hope that people don't regret paying attention to you. Now, uh, a high modernist might say, "Oh, that's being slavish to the audience." I would say, "No, that's being step outside of music for a minute and remember that we're a primate." that's being a normal human primate
0: right right right
1: you know this is part of what we do and it's not just about art you know it's it, it's a uh, uh, a lot of other aspects of human culture and human society also have to do with this sort of interchange between who's speaking and who's listening and if you're speaking you you wanna make it uh, you wanna make it work and have some substance
0: yeah, definitely. Um well you wanna just uh start getting into the music and talking about these uh, excerpts you, so people can kinda hear Yeah, you gotta
1: cut me off, you know. <laughs> I, I will I will roll until you stop me.
0: <laughs> no man, roll roll as uh as long as you want to. Um, that's the great thing about podcasting. <laughs> There's no time limit. So we can just go as long as you want. Um so yeah, um but yeah, let's get into the start getting into the music a little bit. I'm gonna play a couple excerpts from uh well i mean six excerpts from your piece americans um a couple excerpts from each movement and uh we're going to start with uh obviously the first movement universal phenomenon um i don't know do you want to say a few things about this before uh yeah i mean the
2: piece
1: is a well first off the piece as a whole um just so people know it's these are the. It's it's a sampled speech piece. This is something I've been doing since I think '79. I started it with a piece called John Somebody, um, with a mostly electric guitar kind of uh, uh, orchestration. Um, very, very. This was sort of the breakthrough where I said, "Yes, I can do rock, <laughs> and still make serious music." And I, it's also the place where I came up with this idea of taking a sample, a, uh, in that case, tape loop. Analyzing the pitches and the rhythms and using that as musical material. Um, uh, A lot of people associate this with Steve Reich, who's done a number of wonderful pieces using this technique. Um, But uh, uh, to my knowledge, John Somebody, which is about, oh, I don't know, quite a few years before uh, Steve did it in '88, or I think, with different trains, was the first piece that used this exact technique. and uh, there's a debt here to Steve's pieces that didn't have, um, uh, uh, they were voice only. There's a debt to Messiaen uh, transcribing um, bird songs. Uh-huh. But the closest one is really what I remember from playing, from this, uh, 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 listening to blues when I was in college, simply the idea of call and response. Singer does a thing, the sax player imitates it. Okay. Uh, the simplest thing in the world shows up in every musical culture in the world uh, so anyhow that's the basis of this this particular piece called Americans. The voices in this instance are immigrants uh, in the order of these pieces first one is from China, then from Romania and then from Afghanistan um, who had moved to queens new york uh, and the the ensemble as you hear is just sort of an extended rock band the uh uh with a uh, a standard uh, guitar, bass, drums, k- piano on the bottom, and up above we've got sax, clarinet, and viola. Um, yeah. And uh, so this first piece, Universal Phenomena, this is a this is, um, uh, Chinese woman, and they're, they're sort of, it's kind of funny, it's sort of a punchline. She was talking about how uh, uh, when she first c- came to America, she couldn't tell anybody apart. Right. Because white people all look the same and the black people all look the same. And then she starts laughing. She says, and, and with my Chinese friends, we we knew that, that that nobody could tell us apart so we'd borrow each other's ID. Right. <laughs> um, actually, there's scientific evidence that this is an actual true thing. People always can are better at identifying individuals in their own uh, 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 ethnic group. Um, in any case, here it is. You'll see uh, uh, in the segments you have. I think the first one there's there's a, a very clear example of of absolute literal imitation in the instruments. There's a piano doing one one of the voice lines, and the guitar comes in with an absolute imitation of the other guitar line. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that and the yeah. piano is um, imitating. All look the same to me, right? Yeah, and then yeah. the guitar is imitating. Uh, it's it's hard, hard, to hard to remember who I just to saw. Yeah, this
1: yeah. is this is where I began in the late '70s with this piece, John Somebody, which I, I started sketches of, of, I think in '77 or something. I started writing it in '79, um, but it's the, and I started with the exact same thing, an exact uh, imitation. So,
0: roll them. Okay, well, let's check it out. This is the first excerpt from Scott Johnson's Americans: The First Movement, Universal Phenomenon.
3: Look the same to me. the same. All look the same. the same to me. the same. All look the same. It's hard to to remember to remember who. It's hard to to remember who to remember who who I just saw who I just saw. I just. No, minutes later, minutes later, no, minutes later is you, you, saw you, saw you, saw you saw somebody else. you saw somebody else. Did I see this person? Was that the person I just saw?
2: Was that the person I just saw? Just met? Just saw? Was that the person? Who I just
0: And we just heard Universal Phenomenon, the first excerpt. And uh, yeah, musically speaking, uh, from that excerpt, I think it's really cool that, um, you know, you not only transcribe the rhythmic, you know, the rhythm of the voice, but you sort of transcribe this melodic line from the speech voice that creates these musical motives that you can almost manipulate like, uh, well, I oh, mean, like almost anybody, like Beethoven would have done or something.
1: I, that's exactly the point. I, I Yeah. I can, these things I can... I can layer them over each other, I can voice them, I can orchestrate them, toss them around between instruments. Uh, and of course, the voice isn't doing exactly that. But the thing I discovered at the very beginning, as I said with John somebody, is that if it's close enough, the ear will decide that that's what it is. If it sort of is an A, or is it going a little up or a little down, and you come back, come right in with an A, the ear will say, oh, it's an A. Yeah, we're very suggestible. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same goes with rhythm. None
1: of these rhythms are exact. I do edit. I, I will edit, uh, and especially later on, in in, the, uh, in these pieces like the one you're hearing, um, where I, I I didn't have to deal with ancient tape loops like where I started, but I have a sampler, and every vocal phrase is a has a key assignment, um, and I can place them. I can cut these into smaller pieces. I can place them. I can make them rhythmically fit. But most of the time I don't. Most of the time I listen to the internal rhythm and I sit there with a a metronome and I decide where does this sample want to sit. And if it wants to sit at 112, then that's fine. And if the next area kind of on average wants to sit at uh, 104, then I'll do a little, I'll take the tempo down a bit uh, and essentially follow what exists rhythmically in the sample right. just as I've followed what exists in the pitch
0: right right so in this way I mean these vocal samples kind of govern uh... just the trajectory of the entire piece absolutely really. yeah are
1: material that I've there uh, the very first thing I do is I sit down I choose samples and I sit down and I write the pitches down and then I start putting them together and I it, when I first started doing this, I was thinking in a funny way of serialism, the fact that, that part of the point of serialism is you get this arbitrary, you have to do that note. Because um, uh, the row says the next note is going to be an A-flat, and that's just what you have to do. This, In a funny way, it, it it does the same thing. It says I have to do this, except that what I do is I'll take these things and I'll harmonize them tonally. Uh, I actually, did in the late '80s a couple pieces where I, I made melodies out of, out of twelve-tone rows and then harmonized them tonally, just to make me, <laughs> you know, just to make me leap into unexpected uh-huh. harmonic areas. Um, so yeah, this, this these pieces do push me around. I mean, these voice samples do push me around, and that I kind of like that. It's, it's
0: yeah, I, I really like that. I mean, um, you know, a lot of my listeners and you know, cause I don't just talk about uh, new music on this show. I mean, I've done quite a bit, but you know, I just do whatever, whatever I like, you know, just kind of what we were talking about, you know, so it might be something <laughs> from this year and it might be something, you know, might be parotent or something, but um, you know, people listening to this, you know, who are not as familiar with new music might think using these speech samples, all this is a, might be a, a weird way of generating music, but look, you can, you can go all the way back to someone like Monteverdi and hear him doing really this uh, a very similar thing, you know, with his music. So you know, well,
1: think, I mean, think you of think of uh, uh, fugues. Um, here you are. You're you're deciding. I'm going to take this subject and I'm going to make myself follow certain rules uh, of counterpoint. And you know, one of the one of the fun sort of macho one-upsmanship things that 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 would happen uh, with uh, uh, composers in the you know, 18th century is they would pick tough fugue, su- fugue subjects and 19th century. they would pick things that were difficult to make a fugue out of or they'd take too many voices uh, uh, then would, would come out easily. They would in one way or the other use these rules as a way to show off or a way to challenge themselves or a way to uh, well, you know, you you can see the same stuff happen with kids on the schoolyards. Composers
0: are just well, you yeah. Know, that's the that's bunch the, of grown-up kids. That that thing right there was the whole impetus of the musical offering, right? Yeah, but, it, yeah. I mean, it's just exactly like he, exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a tour de force.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he was given that fugue subject by uh, I forget whoever gave it to him. You know, to, to say you know, okay, if you're so badass, you know, why don't you make a fugue out of this? Yeah. But, um, but you know
1: and and the thing about these these this sampling stuff it takes it's really slow. It takes me at least half again as long to do one of these pieces and when I'm finished with one of these things I want nothing more than to just write some instrumental music. <laughs> and uh you know I'm doing a huge sampling piece right now. What I, what I want to do after that is do like two years of 10-minute pieces for you know <laughs> small <laughs> ensembles and just not have to uh uh Constrain myself the way that that uh, you know. Actually, there's a sort of a funny joke about a thing that happened with this. A friend of mine one, once came up with a. I was complaining about what would you do if you had a word um, uh, that you couldn't use unless there was a certain pitch attached to it. I was trying to explain why it. This is uh, uh, another composer, Michael Torke, you might know. Um, mm-hmm. I was saying my, I was you know going on about about how slow this is Well, he he went and he turned on into this very wonderful little piece where he took what was the was it a psalm I believe and I'm sorry I am forgetting the name of this piece it's really it's really quite nice where he took it quite literally he he took a um... a text he assigned a pitch and this is a song by a singer he assigned a pitch to each word and jumbled up the you know uh, essentially sliced and diced the, the sentences and made melodies that had what ended up being sort of nonsense, but sort of poetic uh, words associated with it. And it was re- it was really quite lovely. And it had hmm. had nothing to do with with anything except that sentence. What would you do if you yeah. had to pitch attached to every word?
0: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I don't know that piece, but um, it's called. You know, I'll look at. Uh, I'll look uh, it'll come.
1: It. It'll come to me. At, uh, well, anyhow.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> forgot.
0: many. Years ago. Um, well, uh, let's go on to this second excerpt from the first movement of uh, Americans. And in this one, um, it starts with this text. I can imagine how some Chinese or Oriental people appear to Westerners. Yes. Um, and then we get sort of a literal take on I can imagine in the base. Um, yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> sort of followed by what you said, you know, sort of transforming. Oh,
1: She starts laughing. Mind. Yeah. Um, the. It, yeah, it,
0: You'll hear uh, the very first
1: uh, thing you hear in this this excerpt you're going to play is a, a very intentional sort of Oriental sounding viola solo, um, uh, and this is one of those things. You know, essentially, here's a Chinese woman speaking, and then here is this music that it makes a sort of a uh, uh, unveiled reference. I, I I like this sort of. This is another thing that that. In high modernist 20th century music was frowned upon the idea of doing uh, 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 tone painting or, or people would hear things like make these other out world references non musical world references and say oh well that's kind of like movie music or something uh, and this is another one of those situations where where I I, I really sort of want to embrace some of these things that were Verboten when I was a kid. Um, yeah so anyhow the, the yeah the 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 piece ends up with this woman saying you know well I guess this is a universal phenomena uh, that being the I, the fact that people can't tell strangers apart and I think that there's a really you know, there's an underlying truth and in, in some ways a very tragic one because it it this is some of the fuel I think of human conflict is the fact that people look different it's easy to tell who they are
2: mm-hmm.
1: and this was, you know, in our, our, our ancestry when the, 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 you know, the tribe on my side of the hill looked a little different from the tribe on the other side of the hill. It was really quite in your interest to know who was from where because they were probably going to hurt you. Um, and this thing that probably worked for our survival in our ancestral environment now is our biggest danger, the fact that we mistrust strangers. So that's sort of the subtext of this for me.
0: Okay, well, let's check it out. This uh, excerpt, second excerpt from Scott Johnson's *Americans: Universal Phenomenon*.
3: So I can I can imagine how Chinese or Oriental people appear to Westerners. people appear appear to the westerners I can I can imagine I can imagine how so I can I can imagine I can imagine how so i can I can imagine i can imagine how so we sometimes we joke so i can imagine imagine so we sometimes we joke so imagine Sometimes we joke. You, you know, you can borrow my my photo ID. You know, they won't tell the difference. <laughs> they won't tell the difference. My photo ID. They won't tell the difference. <laughs> my photo ID. <laughs>
0: just heard the universal phenomenon we're going to move on to uh same piece americans the second movement uh, titled your host and your host refers to kind of a radio host right
1: this guy you know the words you're going to hear are all they're in romanian this guy was a uh, dj in uh, romania and he had an, an american oldies show um and so what the, the the recording is is of his voice is from him doing his old intro, which is welcome to the show. I'll be your host. Um, uh, we're gonna play your favorites from your favorite old stuff. Uh, uh, and what he then said was your old stuff from the '60s, '70s, and '80s. I didn't use that. Instead, I went to a bunch of I, I picked out the place names from about 20 different people, I can't remember how many people, saying the countries they were from or the cities. Uh, they're from Poland, they're from Zambia, they're from from uh, the Philippines, they're from wherever. So, <laughs> this is a little convoluted. I imagined, uh, uh, as an American listening to this Romanian that I don't understand, this guy being a host, I imagined a sort of reversal of someone arriving in America being welcomed in a in language you barely understand, saying, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, uh, we're going to try to keep you entertained, and 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 then he begins to refer to the old stuff. At, at which point, I put in the names of all these countries these people came from.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's a sort of a um, obscure metaphor, <laughs> right? <laughs> me.
0: Right, right. And and musically, you know, you bring in all this like like kind of like what we were talking about on the previous excerpt. You bring in all this sort of ethnic-sounding music, but this time it's sort of like, you know, flying in from all angles, like some yeah. kind of like schizophrenic radio, you know, and just sort of coming in from from everywhere. Um, yeah, the very first thing you'll
1: hear is this sort of a, a rock groove um, uh, with all these names, all these place names, and then there's a little sort of klezmer-ish clarinet-sounding thing, and then there's another country list. Um, so, yeah, it's it's once again, uh, 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 it it it's really quite literal about what it's about. Uh, it's not not intended to be mysterious or um, uh, uh, difficult to understand at all,
0: yeah, okay. so let's check it out. This first excerpt from. The second movement of Americans, your host. <laughs> Americans and we're going to move on to another excerpt from your host uh, towards the end of the piece or of that movement and uh, this one features and, and I'm so glad it does because I hardly ever get to use this word on this show funky these like funky rhythms um, based oh, on God. yeah and I can't I need to ask you what the text is because it's like the rhythm was like duh, 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 <laughs> you know like this but i can't exactly understand what the the text is saying the text saying.
1: is um that's because it's in romanian and you know what oh I, okay yeah the funk area you're talking about i i in rehearsal i just say let's go to the steely dan section
0: oh yeah i can totally this, hear that
1: <laughs> if and if you listen it's got those kind of um uh, uh those kind of chords those sort yeah, of yeah yeah Chordal sounding jazzy chords, and also it's got what I call swung funk, which is essentially a funk rhythm, uh, uh, triple, you know, sort of a swung funk whereby the swinging happens with a uh, 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 uh so sort of six to the six to the beat instead of three to the beat. So, in other words, each each beat is sort of like double time or I'm uh, sorry, half time swing, uh. But okay. yeah, that, that sort of swung funk is a, is something I always associate with Steely Dan and those chords really sound like it. So mm-hmm. so yes, this, the the if I'm referring to everyone else's country, I'm I'm also busy referring to my own.
0: <laughs> well yeah, I mean, you know, how can you not really? Um, but yeah, uh, I
1: mean actually part part of the idea with the ensemble was yeah. to take these people from all over the world and set it within this really American band. Mm-hmm. But with some mistakes, like a viola.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: right. <laughs> my, my, my thought was, maybe this is the rock band that they were able to put together in a little farming town in you know hung, Hungary or something, because that's the only players <laughs> they had available.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, well let's check this out. Yeah, the Steely Dan. I mean, I, I can totally hear that now that you said that. But so let's check out this um, Steely Dan section of uh, Americans from the second movement, your
4: host.
2: So. Fitzart durch der It's Fitzart durch der da
0: host from scott johnson's americans and we're going to move on to the last movement of that piece called continental divide and uh this is a uh, i have to say uh, quite powerful um the the text you know um being recited uh by this you know american woman who's afghani as well and you know she's kind of talking about all her conflicted feelings um I don't I don't know. What do you, what do you think of this one? Well,
1: it no I'm I'm very this is this might be my favorite. I mean, um it's Well, she she's talking about her, her her as you say her conflicted feelings over on the one hand being an American and and wanting the best for this country and on the other hand knowing what is going on back home. Uh this was I think this recording was made um not long after the American invasion, and so of course here, on the one hand, there's all this bloodshed. On the other hand, even at that point, you had the Taliban still in power there, and who are obviously a bunch of bad guys. Mm-hmm. And then you have George Bush, who you know I personally would think of as a bad guy. Yet mm-hmm. I <laughs> really, really don't like religious fanatics. I, in, in a way, it's it's a tough spot because here I, you have one one kind of religious fanatic against the other. But, in any case, you know, I'm a New Yorker, the towers fell down, uh, uh, a very conflicted uh, uh, scenario even for me, more so for this person. This is not about, and this is the interesting, the important thing about this, this is not about how I feel, this is about how this person feels, and she feels conflicted and says as much. Um, What was kind of interesting, I think in this first exit, you're going to play... The melody, again, we have a a, a reference to uh, my kind of uh, imaginary American reconstruction of music I've heard from other cultures. It turns out the melody uh, 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 of her speech sort of fit very nicely into making this vaguely, generically, mid-eastern-sounding melody. Um and I went with that uh well just that why don't you just play it and
0: (laughs) okay yeah make their mind up yeah 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 okay so let's let's check this out the first excerpt from the third movement of Americans continental divide I said that I have a
4: dream that I want to visit Afghanistan is Afghanistan.
0: we just heard continental divide the first excerpt that we're going to play and i'm going to play uh, another excerpt from continental divide here uh this excerpt um towards the end of the piece and in this one she's basically saying um part of me says go she's talking about um her conflicted feelings about actually going back to afghanistan and visiting no, about the invasion yeah and she's talking says, specifically
1: about the invasion of afghanistan yeah and well, she,
0: um uh, well, she says, um, "Part of me says go." Uh, I felt very conflicted because I'm American. I've been living here for the past twenty two years, and this is my home. Yeah, she's talking about the the invasion, right? So, yes. um In between
1: these excerpts, um, there's a what you, what people won't hear that they might want to check out. There's a section. It's again a sort of a. Um, uh, uh, a funk sounding sort of thing and a swung funk and there's moments where there where there's, in, there's some sort of swing horn parts which reminded me of I started thinking of World War II and of us at the height of our invading of places at a point when it seemed like a really good idea um, yeah. Hitler and all <laughs> yeah right? yeah um, uh, I mean I would have gone along with that. Um and so there was a sort of an ironic in my mind a sort of an ironic thought about these two instances of 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 um, of American um intervention. But sorry you I, I I cut you off you were saying?
0: Uh uh no 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 that was uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh you know we kind of talked about um you know how the text affects this music you know the rhythm of the text and uh, the sort of perceived, you know, melodic line of the text. But I, I was also wondering about just how the words, because, you know, I, I, on one example I can uh, give, when she says, I felt very conflicted, on right on that word, conflicted, you have the sort of gu- guitar doing this sort of descending kind of, I don't know, very pensive, introspective-sounding music right on that word. And I wondered, you know, um, how much? I'm
1: trying to remember this. As I said, it's been a long time. Uh, I felt conflicted. Do, 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 do. Oh yeah, I, I think those are the pitches of. I felt very. I felt very conflicted. Uh, I. It's been a few years. I don't remember. I'm. I am not sure if that's an exact transcription. It is certainly. I don't think it is. I, I uh, but I, I would have to sit and listen to it or look at the score, which is not in front of me. Um, but it's certainly the shape of that falling voice. I felt very conflicted. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah this, this is very just. This is, I think, the kind of musical thinking that that I think comes very naturally to most musicians. So, uh, mm-hmm. You hear a thing, you repeat it, you alter it, you, uh, and. Once again, it's it's just a case of of taking these speech, um, these speech fragments as musical material. Now, of course, they are also they have meaning, and you've heard me talk a lot about the meaning. I'm not ignoring it, but they're also they're notes.
0: Yeah, they're yeah. Notes of time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's check this out. Um, the uh, last movement from Scott Johnson's *Americans Continental Divide*. Part of me says go. Oh.
4: I I felt very conflicted. I felt very conflicted. Cause I'm American. I'm American. I mean, I've been living here for the past. Living here for the past. Living here for the past. Mm -hmm. 20 some odd years been living here for the past 22 years and and this is my home this is my home
2: and this is
0: my home and we just heard continental divide and um before we move on to the next piece um I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit. You've, you've sort of talked about this a little bit, your visual art background. But sometimes, you know, listening to your music, I almost get a sense that this really comes into play. It's almost like a, some kind of aural collage or installation or something. You know what I mean? Hmm, that's
1: interesting because I did do installation pieces. That was the last thing I did before I quit.
0: Yeah, visual. I mean, these really sound to me like aural installations somehow. And
1: Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that something came out of all that. <laughs> a little piece of paper from the University of Wisconsin that says I'm an artist, um, that's... <laughs> um, I, well, the, the, a lot of the work I did... Actually, the, the visual work I was doing was what led me into this. In addition to this, you know, as I said, the blues call and response, and, uh, you know, the new music speech-oriented stuff, um, I also do in doing visual art stuff. I did stuff. I would have tape recorders. I remember one piece where I had two tape, real real tape recorders, 100, you know, 50 feet apart at opposite ends of a room with a loop, you know, spanning the room and a lot of little cassette loops hidden up in the beams and, and sounds coming from here and there. Um, and I think, the, if I remember correctly, the very first. Uh, music-only piece. I did at that point. I took some of those sounds from that installation and I made a timed piece. I made a uh, you know a, a, a real-time start to finish piece out of material that I had initially done in an in installation. So, so yeah, I, 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 there's not a, there's not a direct A to B line here, and yeah, I think. Yeah. What you're talking about is a sort of a sensibility and i'm I'm happy that that you hear that because i i always thought one of the reasons i i studied music and visual art at the same time and I have to say I thought the visual art people were kind of more fun because they, <laughs> they, they 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 were less constrained uh they they were had sort of more spontaneous weird ideas and and uh uh <sighs> It seemed a little more playful and a little less dutiful, uh, not that I have anything against dutiful I work you know these as I said technically, it's very difficult to make these pieces, and there's many really long hours of slogging through um, through details that have to be gotten right mm-hmm. but still, there was some sort of sense of freedom that i i I enjoyed when I first bumped into visual art. That I found again when I bumped into that downtown world, which you know, not not all the players were as as and and uh, uh, composers were as sort of technically adept as the uptown people, uh, but
0: they were hmm. more fun. <laughs> well, they,
1: they, they were more their, their 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 ideas often had a sort of an originality about them. Sometimes even in instances where they couldn't execute them. Is is sort of impeccably as an uptown. I mean, one of the things I used to say is, "It uptown, you had a lot of a lot of very gifted people working on the same idea, and downtown, you had a lot of people just sort of shooting off in all directions on different ideas. And oftentimes, those ideas, by not becoming a communal property like you know serialism or something, they didn't develop up to the same level of 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 detail and cultural tradition. I mean, I think in some ways minimalism is the first is the first time that 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 something from downtown started to have a few generations and began to have a sort of a broad palette of choices. Mm -hmm. You know, something that could be taught. I think it's no 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 uh, accident that most of these younger composers, these sort of young postmodernists, most of them. Have some sort of audible influence from minimalism, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, whether from the uh, glass Reich Adams uh, first generation, or you know, the Bang and Can guys, or you know, a lot. Of, there's a bit of a history at this point.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. But uh, the thing
1: is, that history has created a, a, a toolkit. And the uptowners had a toolkit. The downtown didn't have so much of a toolkit. Everybody was like kind of making their own hammer. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, but you feel that now they kind of do. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and and the actually some sometimes the ones that are too strongly influenced by minimalism aren't my favorite pieces because it did, it, it, well, as I said, I, I voted with my feet. I went to where things were a little less predictable uh in a downtown world where where I would rather take the risk of failure than the risk of of um, simply repeating back what I'd heard right right uh but the point is is that this is i, I should I, this begins to get into areas of value judgment that I don't like to go to. I think that it's important for a healthy musical culture to have different kinds of options for different kinds of personalities, and the whole ecosystem is a healthy ecosystem requires a certain diversity of um, organism within it, yeah, and um
0: yeah, absolutely yeah. Um, Yeah, so on that note, let's move to our next excerpt from The Illusion of Guidance. Um, This was written for Bang on a Can, right?
1: Yep, the uh, Bang on a Can All-Stars, the sextet.
0: And it's for clarinet, cello, bass, electric guitar, piano, and uh, one percussionist playing marimba and some other various percussion. Yeah, it's just Um, a
1: kick drum and a couple cowbells, I think.
0: So... This started as a guitar quartet. Yeah,
1: but I, I, I uh, it turned out that, um, it turned out that when it, when Bang and a Can came uh, with a, a proposal for a commission, I thought about the instrumentation. You've got a guitar. you have the electric guitar. You've got a piano. Have a marimba, and all of a sudden, I kind of have the same sort of percussive. Uh, uh, percussive instruments that I would have had with the guitar quartet and I just said
0: I'll just start so I started yeah and um, this piece well I you know I read um, your notes about it on your website and uh, it seems to be kind of uh, talking about this you don't really use this this uh, phrase but the the concept of sort of divine inspiration um, you know that we constantly see, like, if you watch uh, Amadeus or something, you know, through that whole movie, it sort of suggested that Amadeus is, you know, God's instrument. He's receiving everything. Yes. You know, like he's just taking di- dictation from God and all this stuff.
1: Yes. So yeah. That's the mythology. I mean, and and which I'll, I'll I'll address in a sec. But basically, I mean, those are connotations that I had and things I was consciously thinking about. And musically, this is probably the most pure music piece on here it's very much about playing with the materials I was playing with um, uh, it's about the instruments it's about um, it's about the harmonies it's about uh, uh, the 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 themes that get trans that get transformed um, and it, it it had a what led me to this sort of conceptual or, or the the sort of idea that you're talking about is that it just it was flowing very very easily and very quickly and uh, just strictly as music, which got me thinking about, as you said, the sort of uh, I, the Mozart syndrome—the uh, the idea of taking dictation from God or
2: something—which
1: yeah. I ha- always chuckle about because um, there's something very self-aggrandizing about when I hear people suggest that that something is inspired by some larger force. It's they're kind of ducking for cover. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I'm just I'm just doing as I was told. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're also saying, "Well, I guess somebody thinks I'm worth inspiring." Uh, <laughs> it's it's, uh, it, it's it's sort of a, a very kind of subtle, passive aggressive, self aggrandizing, frankly, um, and it's also a, a sort of a mythologizing thing on the part of artists, uh, and it suggests that we're, uh, yes, we are a particular kind of human being, but we're 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 operating with the same basic set of equipment as, as a plumber uh, uh yeah. what does that sound
0: i'm sorry it's oh. <laughs> i'm not i'm not exactly in a soundproof studio so oh, okay. whenever you know a harley goes by we're gonna hear oh it. okay yeah never mind <laughs> anyhow that
1: you can cut that off. anyhow yeah there's something uh, the 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 way that it was coming to me so easily um made me think of all the stories uh, uh, that people tell about why things come easily. Um, And the point of what what the the idea that I arrived at uh, uh, is very much a rationalist idea. Well, of course it's coming to you easily because you have inherited these techniques from the culture you're in. Um, And when you get into a point where you're in a good sense of flow with your your capabilities your materials your your goals everybody talks about how often about how they forget themselves while they're working or they they get lost in the work or the work comes to them and in fact it is in many ways coming to you you didn't I didn't you know this ends up starts with electric guitar well I didn't invent the electric guitar I didn't invent how it sounds yet it's it's also interior to me and exterior at the same time when the interior and the exterior work hand in hand, you get this this sort of wonderful lost in one's work that we all uh, uh, wait for. You don't need supernatural <laughs> in, uh, uh, intervention as a matter of fact in terms of most kinds of supernatural invention, I go back to an old joke when you used to in New York City when you used to uh, we would use tokens to get onto the subway. Now you use a card. Uh if somebody wanted to diminish the value of something there if someone wanted to min- diminish the value of something that someone said if so if I if I said to you, Oh, I am
2: eternally
1: grateful to you for uh dropping that hundred dollars so that I could pick it up behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> uh you might say, Oh well your your gratitude and a so su- and a token will get me on the subway. Uh <laughs> in other words, the 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 Attribution of, of otherworldly inference is a gilding of the lily. A sort of a useless add-on to something that was going to happen anyway. Yeah, but that's just the ideational. That that's my ideology. I mean, basically, the piece is very, very um, self-contained piece of music. I think.
0: Right. So let's check it out. This excerpt from Scott Johnson's "The Illusion of Guidance." <laughs> The Illusion of Guidance by Scott Johnson, and we're going to move on to his piece for two electric guitars, Bowery Haunt. Um, now Bowery is a like a district. Street. It's a street. The, street. Okay. the
1: Bowery. Um, it's now okay. Uh, in, in the Bowery. Uh... When I moved here, still was the Bowery of um, of uh, American legend, which is basically a down and out place, full of a uh, 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 kind of rundown bars and rundown people and rundown um, uh, uh, places for people to sleep, whether on this, whether in a little cubicle or on the street itself. Um, and in the late '70s, artists like myself started moving in there, and, um, and that's where CBGB's was, which was the punk Valhalla, the, uh, <laughs> where you know, the Ramones and the Talking Heads and Patti Smith and all of these people um, uh, got their start. And I used to live about uh, two blocks away, just down the Bowery right from there. So the, name, the title's kind of a joke. Uh, I mean, a haunt is a bar. Yeah, I had to. By the way, I had to. Someone played this in 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 uh, Tokyo last week, and I had to try to explain this to them. Oh wow! <laughs> I don't know if I did very well. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm doing very well right now. Uh, it's a pun, uh, uh, you know, the, a pun on the idea of a haunt, which is um, you know, uh, alcoholics haunting a bar. Yeah. Uh, and the Bowery. Well, the CBGBs was a sort of a haunt in some ways for punks. Um, and I used to go there. One of the bands I heard um, at CBGB's was the Ramones, who had these very funny, very simple uh, uh, rock and roll power chords. And the very the phrase that 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 the, um, is sort of the core of this piece. It resembles their sort of, you know, da 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 da, you know, as as in A C G and and you know this sort of very typical rock and roll um, yeah uh, chord structure. Except I made a phrase that went through all twelve uh, uh, triads, or or in this case all twelve rock and roll power chords. Um, so this was sort of a funny reminiscence about uh, uh, about you know simple of. Uh, uh, rock and roll Now back to the haunt part three of the ramones of the four ramones as i understand it are now dead so making a piece that kind of refers to my memory of that place on the bowery full of of kind of low rent bars uh, and in this case um rock and roll guys who followed their uh <laughs> follow their habits all the way to the grave yeah. thus i come up with the name bowery haunt
0: Okay yeah Gotcha. Now the
1: section, the sections you're gonna play don't really have the this this rock and roll power chord thing. they're they're much more ethereal areas that that use uh, use some of the musical materials from that theme but use it in a very different way as sort of high uh, 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 more in the first case a sort of a th- more ethereal sounding, almost baroque sounding um, version and the second, section you've chosen it uses this material sort of as a trumpet fanfare mm. uh, in some ways I thought uh, uh, I've always felt like a, a fully distorted guitar rem- rem- playing high reminds me a little bit of a trumpet it's got that same kind of um, uh, okay. uh, macho charisma
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah 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 I can hear that and, it, you know, this, you, you, another thing you, you sort of mention in your description of the piece on your website is, of course, you mentioned the, the Ramones, and then you kind of sort of mention um, progressive rock. Yeah. And, um, which I would imagine in the 70s was also a schism, sort of between a group like oh. the Ramones and a group like, uh, you know, Gen- Genesis or Yes or something. But the interesting thing. Is that I can hear all that in this piece? You know, I can hear the Ramones, I can hear uh, early Yes, I can hear you know King Crimson and Robert Fripp. I can hear all this stuff in the piece. Yep.
1: Well, I am more of the generation of the Prague Rockers, and when I was went to CBGBs, I was ten years older than all those people. And um, to me, using uh, there, there's also uh, there are another section. There's sections in this piece that almost vaguely sound have a little bit more of that sort of jazz guitar type sound, um, and some harmonies that are more related to that. So to me, this piece was essentially a tour of a lifetime of guitar habits. Um, I've played since I was a teenager, uh, early teenager. As a matter of fact, like, <laughs> like, like many a young male, I, uh, uh, Bumped into guitar at a certain age when, um, what can I say? A young man's thoughts turned to uh, uh, attracting thoughts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. there's
1: something built in, there's something built into rock, and there's something built into an awful lot of popular music that's just about that. And, um, and then later on, of course, it, 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 uh, uh, it became, became something else and I became a composer but but that doesn't mean I forgot this really primitive uh, thing associated with with popular music and so in a way this this piece runs through um the 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 simplest and the most complex of of my experiences and feelings about the instruments I played this instrument all my life um you know and that means by definition, that I've I've run through a lot of different periods when the instrument was showing up in a lot of different styles, and usually I found something about each of them that was worth remembering.
0: Yeah, well, let's check this out. This first excerpt um, from Scott Johnson's Bowery Haunt. <laughs> we just heard Bowery Haunt of Scott Johnson, the first excerpt. I'm going to play another excerpt from um, towards the end of the piece. And this one, I think, really, you know, you were talking um, before we heard the previous one about this piece just kind of being a almost like a compendium of electric guitar um, styles and, you know, whatever that, that you'd played throughout your life. And I think during this excerpt, you can really hear that. Uh, there's just so many styles um, of electric guitar from so many different genres, kind of all in this one space. And uh, this excerpt right here starts with this section where the these sort of fully uh, distorted electric guitars are kind of echoing each other in octaves, sort of almost like this mad chase or something.
1: They're actually and, yeah they're they're actually offset by a. Um, a, a... You know, by half a beat. There, this is this is a uh, in in some ways it's kind of a standard um, uh, minimalist type type of technique. Um, it's it's very difficult to play. By the way, fortunately, the guy who played this with Mark Danziger's he's uh, um, one of the he's in a group called the Now Ensemble. He's a composer himself, and he's one of these guys. these younger guys I mentioned who came up, you know, just playing minimalist stuff and very influenced by that. And he was much better at at um, um, holding to this 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 um, upbeat, downbeat, upbeat, downbeat uh, uh, kind of playing than I. Um, so I played the easy part, which is the first <laughs> the first note. He played the upbeats. That's that's much harder.
0: Yeah, Mark's been on this show, so just oh, yeah, two yeah. or he, three shows ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful uh, composer and performer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So. Um. Yeah. Let's check this out. Um. This is, and that's another thing. I didn't know who who exactly who was playing this. So this is you and Mark, playing this. Yeah. Great. Okay. So this last excerpt from Bowery Haunt. Ah! just heard the last excerpt from Bowery Haunt and we're going to move on to our last excerpt of the show uh, from the last track on Scott Johnson's CD Americans. Uh, this is Anthem Hunt and um, this is actually a one movement from a larger work right? This is
1: actually yes it is. It's the only movement in this piece that's that's strictly instrumental. The rest of the piece it's called Pact uses the um, as a speech sampling piece, uh, and it uses everything from. I recorded like two hours of a bunch of guys playing poker, and that's the source of what the opening movement. That plus uh, a, a, a drum set built out of chips and cards being slapped on the table and shuffling and things like that.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds interesting. I would love. To I haven't got that. a recording of it. I just
1: <laughs> I I. I there's another movement, actually the final movement I'm very fond of is very short it's a recording of two New york city um firefighters talking and it, it refers to you know it it refers to uh uh nine eleven it's only a tiny little three mo- three minute piece, but it's one of my favorites but that whole piece I have no recording of it it's only been it's been performed here it's been performed in Ireland and I was it just hasn't been in the studio, so I hope they yeah. get packed out at some point. Meanwhile, no, I hope you do. Meanwhile, this the, uh, this this excerpt we're gonna, this movement we're going to hear, and I, it's a self-contained piece was something that that fit within my instrumentation, and it just was. I want. I like it on its own, and I wanted to put it on. Oh, by the way, it's it's. We'll see if you can guess. Nobody ever can. It was inspired by a particular sort of, you know, classic rock song. Um, Nobody can guess what it is. There's only a couple. There's only a couple hints. The basic beat, and there's a little melodic hint, and everybody has a. Everybody can try and see if they can guess what it is. And oh whoever, man!
0: Uh, I wish I knew that before. Whoever does guess,
1: whoever <laughs> does ge- guess, gets um, absolutely nothing except the pleasure of, <laughs> of figuring
0: <laughs> it. Well, yeah. So if any of you out there think you can guess what it is, you know send either Scott or or the show an email and you know you'll get um no prize but you'll get you know bragging rights or something status anyway, Yeah. status we're primates it's very important to be it, smarter than the other primates exactly yeah the in, in, in the very spirit of this piece you know you want to <laughs> you want something that you can hold over somebody else so um um yeah so this piece um you know i, I picked kind of a uh I don't know. Um, maybe an atypical um, excerpt or something, but I wanted—I just was taken with the very, very end. So you know, it, guy, it goes into this um, yeah. kind of beautiful solo for the cello at the end, and
1: yeah, it's yeah. played so wonderful. Alex Waterman is the cellist on this, and he just so nailed it here. It's it's really lovely. The the piece as a whole. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Nobody's. I take that back about guessing. Nobody's hearing the parts that would help them guess the song. <laughs> it actually begins almost as a set of variation. I don't like sets of variations. They bore the hell out of me. But, um, well, unless somebody's intensely brilliant, but um, this is as close as I ever got to it because I sort of run through, uh, a. a Roughly and not not strictly, but sort of roughly run through a kind of harmonic sequence um, in several different styles. What you're going to hear is pretty much that's all over. <laughs> this is you, there, there's a little bit of a uh, the the sort of climactic area, um, uh, and then there's this coda. Which I, no, I agree with you. This this the it's played really beautifully here. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, let's just let's just hear it so this is the very end of scott johnson's anthem hunt And we just heard "Anthem Hunt" by Scott Johnson, and I, I forgot to mention this, but I'll mention this now. Um, the the whole thing, the Anthem Hunt, is a reference to, as you say, um, the famously defiant, fist-pumping rock anthem. So I mean, we kind of touched on that, but yeah, that's what this whole thing is sort of male um, search for this uh, this fist-pumping anthem, right?
1: Well, like Bowery Hunt, it's it's a it's a it's a kind of a double. It's, a, it's kind of a pun on the one hand it the song that, that inspired me to do this uh, uh reminded me of again i i, I am I'm a uh, Darwinian, I love natural history and and um uh, uh paleontology, things like that and i it it inspired this image in of just these bands of of males, you know. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of them running around looking for something to believe in. And usually doing huge damage to each other in the process. <laughs> and Anybody who had the misfortune to get in their way. But actually sincerely wanting to belong. Um, uh, and the, the double meaning is that of course this, this was inspired by a particular rock and roll anthem and you have to hunt for what it is, and I'm not telling <laughs> unless you get
0: Okay, yeah, and you know, listeners, you know, this is why you have to go out and buy the CD y- so you Sorry. can hear this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Sorry, but you do have to do that. Yes,
0: well, we always encourage you know, that's the whole point uh, of this, you know, please go out and support these, um, these great players and great uh, composers that I have on the show, and you know, they need to buy themselves dinner just like you, so... Um, please go out and buy their CDs. Um, so, yeah, um, that's it. That's all I have uh, as far as excerpts. Um, is there anything that you'd like to, I don't know, pimp, plug, mention?
1: Um, no, I think I've talked about most of the ideas here involved. I have no, uh, I'm just home writing. There, uh, there will be this piece with Daniel Dennett's voice called uh, Mind Out of Matter. And it will be coming up uh, uh, a long time from now, more than a year. We haven't set the date. Mm-hmm. It'll be alarm will sound, so hopefully we'll get it recorded. Um, and by then you will have forgotten <laughs> everything you've heard right here. So, uh, yeah, go buy, go buy my CD and the other ones that you'll find on the website it's scottjohnsoncomposer.com. And uh, um, enjoy the music
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Scott. Um, It was uh, great to have you on and talk about your music. And uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to the alarm will sound recording for sure. And yeah, man, best of luck with it. Great. Thanks. All right. Thank you. And that is going to do it for this edition of All the Cool Parts. If you'd like to send us an email, and please do. And if you want to try to guess uh, what anthem Scott's anthem was based on. uh, send an email to allthecoolparts at uh, gmail.com. And hey, if you guess the right answer, maybe I'll send you a copy of Scott's CD. So, but you got to guess the right answer. Um, you can uh, visit the website at allthecoolparts.blogspot.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com Anthony Landman. And you can go to my website at anthonyjosephlandman.com. So, usually during an outro like this, I'll do this outro and then play you a little piece of music a uh, little last piece of music that you can hear so I'm going to do that this time but after the music I'm going to include a kind of bonus um, snippet of interview uh, that I talked about with Scott about well where we basically talked about progressive rock <laughs> so uh, if you're interested um, stay tuned for that bonus interview and until next time uh, i'll see you all later
1: And actually the Bowie Haunting, I don't know, there's there's actually like three chords in there that happen in the same order as a Rabone song.
0: Okay. Do, okay. You remember the
1: Gaba Gaba Hey tune?
0: Y- yeah, it's been a while since I've heard it. Gaba Gaba
1: Hey. Gaba Gaba. <laughs> well the first the first chords are da 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 da. And then it goes da 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 you know, and runs through all twelve triads. the <laughs> first three chords are the same as the the that uh first three chords of the the chorus of the Ramones tune. okay they're also cool. the same as the first or last three chords of approximately 3,420 yeah. <laughs> other rock and roll songs yeah
0: exactly yeah well you know when I listen to that song I hear I was definitely I think probably like you I was definitely a Prague kid um, yeah so yeah <laughs> I mean that's kind of what I hear a lot in that how piece. old are you how old am I I'm a 37 yeah when yeah. were you born th- uh, 1973
1: 73, oh, so you heard this prog stuff, like, way after... That's you know, like the thing. Or something?
0: No, but I just sort of discovered it on my own. But, yeah, that's true. I mean, when, when I was listening to it in high school and, you know, 88, 89, and and, and so on, you know, yeah, it, it was sort of, like, over Yeah. <laughs> at that what, point. But, but
1: was there anything at that point that you considered, like, prog rock-ish that was, that uh, was not what, utterly embarrassing?
0: Well, the 80s especially the late eighties were so bad, you know, with all the hair bands yeah, here, and stuff. Sure. I mean, uh, the, you know, the only thing that I can really think of that was going on at that time that would even have been close to Prague was maybe like dream theater or. I didn't know them. Uh, or maybe King's X or some of the things that living color were doing, but nothing, yeah. well, no, living nothing. Color,
1: the, no, i mean, living colors like that. They were, uh, they were, uh, kick-ass, you know. Oh yeah. Uh very hardcore band, not that not not a big atmospheric uh, production.
0: You know, I would I would call um around 88. I would call um, cuz when I was a teenager, I was really into Metallica <laughs> and uh I would call their album Injustice for All. It was very very prog. Yeah, um,
1: you know I should I should listen to that again. Actually Lou Reed's now doing has this
0: record coming out with him. That's them. what I heard. Yeah, I haven't heard any of it, but
1: yeah. Yeah, the the pro you know it who's i talking to Matt Marks. He's a composer. Do you know him? No, I don't. Check out Matt Marks. He's a he's in he's doing this really really strange um I just saw him do a thing with a sound where he did this he's doing this opera of, about some dysfunctional suburban family and he had this abs- I'm sure it's not recorded this absolutely hilarious take on those um you know one six four five uh uh tearjerker tunes of the 50s okay um and
0: and you spell and how do you spell his last name
1: marks just like like carl um, marx or k. no with a k
0: oh like m-a-r-k-s mark
1: yeah okay mark okay okay um oh but anyhow he was he was talking about prog rock and stuff and um he's a guy I think he's like 30-ish or something like that. And he he had a different take on it as well. What I found is interesting. A lot of people who talk about this stuff, they don't even know about Procol Harum except Whiter Shade of Pale. And Procol Harum was really the... at the time of the Beatles. I mean, the real source of all this stuff is those those few... Uh, you know, Beatles albums right before and after Sergeant Pepper's. But... In terms of like, uh, uh, puerile pomposity and and high ambitions, I mean, Procol Harum was. I mean, for me, you know, a morbid teenager, <laughs> it was like. Cat-
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I should check them. Out. You know, I I admit I I really don't know Procol harem either.
1: So. They were really a source for this, and, and and
0: and had some of the
1: absolute most embarrassing lyrics ever committed by any rock band. But they really—they're quite good. Listen, there's a listen to a song called "A Salty Dog." Okay. That's a that's a, a real sort of high point in there. They're sort of like, let's get arty. Um, uh, and it's in that sort of whiter shade of pale, that kind of imitation of Bach, sort of descending bass line thing that the Beatles also did a lot of. Um, but yeah, they're, Ooh,
0: they're, I'll check that out.
1: Yeah, I mean, mostly when people talk about prog they talk, prog, they talk about, I think, early 70s.
0: Yeah.
1: I think of, like, Yes or King Crimson.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's that's kind of why I had to go back to all those bands, because there really was nothing like that going on when I was that age, you know? So.
1: Yeah, what it was was a late flowering thing of, like, hi- counterculture or hippie stuff, uh... There's a lot of ambition then on the part of this is something I think is really significant, you know, um, popular music throw up art music. So they they are spring out art music all the time. That's what jazz is. Jazz is one that actually maintained you know nearly a century of continuity and wound wound up well less than a century but it started out, you know, in a bar room and ended up being an art music. And I think that this is something that's historically happens all the time. I mean, I'm also, you know, Indian classical music, I think the same thing. Japanese all because musicians are always trying to one up each other and always trying to like do something that'll impress everybody, be more complicated, or be subtler, or something. You know, it's a natural competition. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so but the thing about rock is that it, is it you get you get the opposite. Is that as soon as it starts getting too difficult, so that a, a kid coming up can't figure it out, then you get punk.
0: Uh, right,
1: <laughs> Volting again because yeah. I want something I can do.
0: I've never heard it put that way, but but yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just I mean, and look at jazz. Same thing. Where did rock and where did Elvis Presley come from? Kids saying, "I want to do something I can actually do." It was really hard to learn those um, those yeah. standards they have complex chords
0: yeah yeah well yeah I mean especially you know the days of Charlie Parker and yeah, which yeah. I
1: mean basically we're taking the same chord structures and just doing them three times as fast but
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah I mean you yeah you can very clearly see but you you can also in, in that music you can hear the roots and and song popular song that just kept getting more and more complicated and then the car the house of cards collapses Yeah, yeah. Or else it flies off, it becomes a little balloon and flies off and becomes an art music. But it happens again and again and again. It's natural. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I think um, Prague is kind of making a comeback in the past five or six years with a a lot of new uh, bands coming out. So I don't know. Well, that's good for me. yeah yeah, well, yeah yeah
1: there's there's stuff like well you know, I mean like my favorite band of the nineties and and thereafter was Radiohead, which is really oh yeah, clearly another instance of this um you know, of this sort of popular music turning serious
0: oh yeah definitely you know? uh, um in fact, you know uh their with their guitarist Johnny Greenwood's doing a lot of. Sort yeah of branching out into more art kind of music these days I've heard them yeah he's
1: like a Penderecki fan,
0: yeah yeah
1: and actually you know I went and I heard uh well, it was a year ago i didn't he just they just did something here a few weeks ago, which I didn't hear but a year or so ago they did the pe you know that was that uh uh there will be blood or something you know that movie uh-huh that they used they did that piece that they took it was a, a sort of a you know Penderecki noise kind of thing. They did the entire piece here. Um, and I, I went with some trepidation thinking, yeah, this is just gonna be, you know, rock guy imitates, you know, the 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 scary tough uh <laughs> music that he wants to be associated with. Turns out it was really it was it was good. It was <laughs> totally competent. It was like, you know, perfectly fine
0: piece of music. The guy's
1: the guy is uh,
0: okay. Wow, in addition cool.
1: to being in radiohead which already makes him okay
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> right um cool yeah yeah i haven't yeah. heard that so. hey performers performing ensembles and composers all the cool parts podcast wants your music for all the cool parts Idol. if you're an emerging artist with a good quality recording and you'd like all the cool parts podcast to share it with the world please email sound files and other details to all the cool at gmail.com help me share your music with the world All the Cool Parts podcast is brought to you by classical guitar luthier Tomas Barobia, maker of the cutting-edge triple-core composite top classical guitar. Powerful volume, world-class tone, and exceptional playability all in one guitar. For more information and free sound samples, visit his website at www.latticeguitar.com.